If you're an Android user searching for the perfect podcast app, why don't you check out the Podcast Republic app on the Google Play Store? Thousands of people have given it five-star reviews, and using it is dead simple. You favorite your shows that you like, they download automatically when the new episodes are posted, and you never have to think about it again. Check out the Podcast Republic app on the Google Play Store for Android devices. Welcome to Dissecting the 80s. I am Trip Lano, one half of the Mega Podcasting Powers. And with me, as always, is my tag team partner, the man who picked this movie, the Macho Mandrew. Andrew Lano. I... You, the listeners can't see, but I stared right at you being like, what is he going to pick to say about me for this movie? Uh, we just were discussing this off mic, but my recollection is that Andrew really pushed for this movie. He says that he didn't, but uh, I have my I, memory more than his. So. I recommended it because we were, when we were planning Sextember, I was like, oh, cruising. It's about gay cruising and like, you know, gay bars and whatever and like leather bars and like some murder or whatever. I wasn't expecting it to be what it is. And so I was like, oh, there's this. And I threw a couple out. And I, me- I thought, I remember Trip saying, I don't know if that's really our speed. And I was like, okay, sure. That makes sense. Let's do the, the silly one with um, Tony Danza. And what I-, I can't remember the other thing we did for September. It's driving me nuts. I don't think we did. Uh, I think we just did one because Rambo was coming out then. And we also did the Rambo movie. Oh, yeah. Um, and then... I'll, and then Trip put it on the thing, on the schedule, thinking that there was something I was, like, really adamant about. I wasn't adamant because I – it's just not normal for us. It's going to be a very different style of podcast. Probably going to be more of a, a genuine conversation about queer culture. It's a fascinating movie. I will say that. In in the year 2020 – I was 2019. In the year 2020, as a queer person, it is a fascinating movie to have come out in the year 1980. Yes. Uh, first off, definitely this is a 70s movie, for sure. This is oh, yeah. extreme 70s vibe. It's pre-AIDS, which is like it is. 84? 81. Oh, okay. 81 was the first case. Okay. It didn't reach like widespread until a few years after that, okay. but yeah. So uh, I do want to talk about something right off the bat, which is... Should we, we, did we say we're doing cruising? Did we say it was cruising? I think you cruising? said cruising several times. Okay. So... Uh, we watched Cruisin', so you know what that means. We gotta go back. We gotta go dissect the 80s. It's the Hanky Code. Some guy made about the Hanky Code. When the mega powers explode. I'm talking about the 80s. Oh, yeah. Great Scott. Cream of the crop. Oh, 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 oh yeah. Mega powers, yeah. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. So. Also, I keep wanting to say cruising like it's the game. Right. Cruising USA. Um, yeah. So a couple of things I want to start with here. Uh, one, the thing that we struggle with the most in movies is names of characters versus the names of the actors who play them. The second thing we struggle with in movies is people who look too similar to one another in movies that are uh, filmed or perhaps not available in high definition. And although this one is available in a high definition cut, it is very grainy. Uh, It's free on Vudu right now, if you are so inclined. And uh, the third thing is, I am extremely uncomfortable making too many jokes about gay culture, as I am not involved in it, and don't feel that that's my place to do. So, this might be the least funny podcast of ours of all time. 
in terms of I, a jokes per minute ratio. But I will say I have done a bunch of research to make up for it. And uh, oh, yeah? that leads me into my first point, which is this. The director of this movie is William Friedkin. He's famous for The Exorcist. He's famous for The French Connection. He's famous for a lot of things. Uh, his major calling card is that he will shoot a movie intending to play it out one way and then just kind of remix the thing in editing and move shots from the first act to the third act, from the third act to the first act to the second act to the third act, all over the place. He's notorious for this. This movie in particular... I didn't know that. This movie in particular is insane with that. I ended up reading this really long essay called Freed Can Out, and I should get the name of the person who wrote it because I'm going to take so much of their stuff. But I... Cite uh, your sources. Yes. Well, I want to because I, I literally am going to be quoting from this really, really long... Uh, MLA format. It's like a master's thesis this person wrote. Uh, Bill... I mean, there's a lot to be discussed about this film. But this person specifically wrote a master's thesis on reading all of the scripts available for this movie, comparing it to the filmed movie, and explaining why none of it makes any sense. The gentleman's name is K-R-O-H-N. I'm guessing that's Crone. So, this movie is about Al Pacino going undercover to catch a killer or killers question mark, who are terrorizing the specific subset of the gay community that is into S&M, bondage, leather, etc. Typically, the catch-all word was the leather community. You can just say that. That's generally pretty accepted. Yes, but for the benefit of the people in the back who might not know, I'm trying to... No, I know. I'm just okay. saying, like, moving forward, yeah, heretofore yeah. known as okay. the leather community. Perfect. Um, he cast... Three different people who look extremely this similar to play the killer. It is never explained. I didn't get this while watching the movie. I was reading an essay afterwards trying to parse through what just happened to me because I felt like... About how the, the first murderer gets murdered the second yes! time? Yes! Yes! Mm -hmm. So I felt like the mom character we always do. Like, I have in this movie... So first of all, I started watching this movie. It was late at night. Uh, my girlfriend was like falling asleep she's like just put it on Did she watch it with you so she's like just put it on and then i will like i'll fall asleep and it'll be fine so we get like 10 minutes into this movie the first murder happens and i'm like i can tell by body language that this is not so i was like let's put on something well else. also bef because before the murder you have to get through the jock straps and the poppers yes. and the gay bar yes, basement i was explaining what poppers were early in this movie which i only know because of some weird... i was i didn't know you knew what they were i i okay I'll get there. Let me let me get through my. I got a whole. I'm sorry. Spiel I'm sorry. Here. I'm so sorry. You keep putting a, a stick in my spokes, uh, or my foot, my yes, ankle. Yes, exactly. So I'm watching this. I'm going. Wait, who's that? That's the killer. Wait, now the killer is dead. There's two killers. What's going on? How is this movie happening? What is happening here? And then I. Who's he from? Yeah. Who's so that from? The Wikipedia. The Wikipedia is mentioning scenes that aren't in the cut that I watched. Wait, on Voodoo? Yes. There's a specific mention where it talks about that the Paul Sorvino character like goes and talks and dresses down a cop, which never happens. Oh, I read the Wikipedia and I didn't catch that. Yeah. Anyway, so the, so in reading this essay by essay by Bill Crone, it explains all this that like Friedkin at the time was convinced that audiences were seeking nonlinear narratives. They didn't want a traditional told story. They didn't. They were not interested in all of that. This, hmm. the, the the buck wildest piece of history that I need to, to bring into the into it now before we get into the movie is this: the initial version of this movie they tried to get off the ground. They went hard after Steven Spielberg. 
Like they were like, the they guy, wanted him for it. Yes. The, the guy to make this movie about murders in the gay community, this like this gritty, dirty New York story. I'm not trying to say that gay people are gritty and no, dirty. I'm just saying but like this it's, particular story. So, okay. Pause you for two seconds. It's because yeah. the gay community in the late seventies, early eighties was dirty because it was all secret and hidden everything was in like right. the meatpacking district because the trucks were left unlocked overnight so that men could go in there and have sex without anyone seeing and be hidden away and like there's really great shots where you can see the meat hooks because they're walking through the meatpacking district and like things like that so there is an element of like secrecy and kind of dirtiness to 80s gay sex unpause <laughs> yeah so I just started thinking, like, what... So, basically, if that had happened, Spielberg makes this movie instead of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Instead and of Jaws. Fun... Well, no, Jaws is 75. They No, this movie, when it was first in development, because this novel came out in 1970, when it was first okay. being shopped around to be a movie, it was around the time when Steven Spielberg was supposed to do Jaws. So, first, they're like, wow. hey... And he was like, yeah, I think I want to take my chance with the broken mechanical shark. <laughs> in open water the correct choice the correct choice and the other buck wild thing is so i thought it was the same time frame which would have meant this movie comes out instead of raiders and just that changes like i guess jaws 2 also changes film history but wild that that would happen uh mm -hmm. potentially there but the other thing was they really wanted richard gear to be the cop instead of Ficino. Yeah. and honestly probably better so i honestly i think 70s or like 70s Spielberg directing this I think there's a, a very fat like a, a more cohesive film well for sure because I'm not because I think this movie is very well shot and it has really fascinating stuff going on so it's not a I don't think it's a bad movie but there are elements where you're like I I'm confused and I don't know if I'm supposed to be confused um so but I think a Steven Spielberg Richard Gere version of this movie is I would be. I wish I had a what if machine just to be like. I want to see the trailer for that movie. Oh, absolutely! I would. I would be fascinated to see that. Uh, apologies, I had my mic set up incorrectly, so it should be sounding better from this point forward. So the quote that I want to read here from Friedkin, Friedkin is: uh, "This is Variety in April of 1967. So this is even before The Exorcist. This is uh, this is basically informs his whole film career." Okay. Uh, quote. The plotted film is on the way out and is no longer of interest to a serious director. A new theater audience, I'm told, is under 30 and largely interested in abstract experience. I defy anyone to tell me what Blow Up, 1966, Gioletta of the Spirits, 1965, La Guerre Est Fine, 1966, and The Beatles films are about. So he basically decides very early in his career, I'm not going to do anything that anyone else is doing. Um, he was a documentary director. And this uh, essayist argues, and I think is probably right, having seen only a handful of freaking movies, but I think this is still correct. He's obsessed with the montage and is constantly like moving pieces around, which is what I talked about. So, for example, yeah. there's a scene where Pacino goes to uh, Powers Booth, actually, to get an explanation of what handkerchief colors mean, because there's a whole code. And I'm happy to let you talk about that when we get there. But well, I'm I wrote that down. I was like, oh, hanky code. And then I was like, oh, this movie actually kind of explains it. Cool. Work. Yeah. Yeah. So they do that, but that precedes a scene where he's wearing a yellow handkerchief out of his pocket. Someone approaches him for 
water sports, which is what that uh, handkerchief is code for. And Pacino is like dumb and doesn't understand what it means because that scene was intended to come after. Oh, I don't know why I didn't put that together. I just thought he was like trying to fit in. He was like, I thought he was like, oh, those mean something. I'll just grab one. So I look like I fit in. But that also but that makes way more sense what you're saying. So that so it was supposed to be this guy. He grabs a random handkerchief color, not knowing there's a code. This guy is like, hey, hanky code. And the guy's like, oh, no, 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 no. And then so he goes to learn about it. But instead, the movie puts them in the opposite order, which it's like, am I supposed to glean that this character is a jerk? I don't understand. Yeah. So that's enough preamble. I feel like maybe if you have more, please add it. I don't want to cut you off. But that was all the pieces I feel like are necessary to bring up to talk about one, the fact that linearly we're going to have a tough time with this movie because it's intentionally confusing and uh two (laughs) that i was trying to put a little learning in because i feel so bad about not having a lot of jokes to bring to the table no i like the learning because that's what i mean i have a lot of you know learning as well i have a few jokes here and there yeah um because these are my people so we start there's an arm floating in the harbor some cops patrolling they find this arm it jumps right in which i so appreciate yeah yeah uh, we go to the medical examiner's office and they're talking about, you know, what might have caused this this arm removal. It's and really then, gnarly looking, too. Like, the, they, oh, show, it's gross. they show a couple of different body parts that have washed up and they're all like primo gross looking, realistic looking. It's like Jaws. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say overall, my feelings about this movie is that it is always gross. Like, you can depict these particular sexual acts in a way that is gross and a way that isn't gross. And he always picks the gross way. I think that's a matter of perspective sometimes. I mean, the way that they shoot the scene, for example, with the harness and the hand being lubricated is done in a it's done. It's not done in a way of like, oh, everyone is about to have a good time. It's done in a way of like, look at this seedy, disgusting act that's about to take place. Again, we could call it perspectives because I took it to like, oh, they're all like, that's what they're about to do. He's wearing the red hanky. It's all the thing like. They're all into it. It's just like this is this. It's seedy looking because it's in a bar. I'm not suggesting that it looks like anyone is not participating with full consent. I'm saying the lighting, the angle of the camera, the way that they stage the scene is done in a way that makes it appear more uh, salacious, more extreme, more like shocking than it would have to be. I guess. But also like if like that's what it would look like in the bar. Like, it's not going to be ringlet. So, like, you know what I mean? Like, it feels true to life. My perspective is it feels like every one of these things is shot in such a way as to make a straight audience go like, "Ooh, what a bunch of gross people. I mean, yeah, because uh, so I thought Friedkin was a gay guy because he also directed a show, a movie called The Boys in the Band, which was a huge turning point in queer cinema and was, you know, a Broadway play that was revived recently. And it was like really a big deal and i was like oh he did cruising and that like he's dude has to be a gay guy who gets like is crafting like creating the stories and he's totally not which is crazy to me yeah i mean i don't i i i I don't want to tell you how you're interpreting something right like obviously i'm not i'm like if, if you feel like it's not this way then i can't tell you you're wrong but to me it feels like every time there's an opportunity to make any gay person feel like a creep he takes the choice to make them feel like a creep and so but that so that's what i meant when i was saying that i thought he was a gay a queer person who was just like reflecting life 
because I was like, oh, like that's kind of what it feels like. So he's kind of portraying it truthfully. Um, and like, yeah, it's going to be kind of seedy and gross because that's what it was. And that's, I mean, what it is still sometimes. And so I, I thought it was a queer person honestly portraying their culture and then found out, oh no, it's a straight dude. So I see where you're coming from, but I think it's interesting that he sort of, yeah, you know, accidentally stumbled into a sometimes realistic portrayal of things. Yeah, I guess I guess I liken it to the 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 shots we're talking about with the guy in the harness, and we'll we'll get to it in due time. But it's akin to the shots of, and I can't remember which movie it is specifically, but there's an Italian horror movie where a character is like being slowly pushed headfirst into a nail. Oh, yeah, the eye. Yeah, that nail Mm -hmm. is going to poke him in the eyeball. Yeah, that's what it's shot like. It's not shot as in like, hey, everybody's here having a good time. It's like this thing is going to happen that's going to repulse you, and I'm going to make you watch it slowly. Interesting. That's the that's how I get that. Like from a from a filmmaking standpoint, like I'm not talking about my personal feelings because whatever anybody wants to do with other consenting adults is none of my fucking business. I'll be real honest; it's none of it. But when you're making a movie about it, and I'm trying to talk about it, it's like this is salacious in the bad way, and it feels intentional to me. That's fair. So anyway, we get to very quickly. These cops are. Uh, accosting these people who are just trying to go about their day. They appear to be people who are sex workers, although, you know, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Are they? Yeah. Is that your reading of it, too? So uh, that took me a second, too. I wasn't sure, because at first I thought they were just drag queens. Um, yeah. And then I was like, oh, maybe they are sex workers. It, was, it wasn't clear. The movie's never going to show you all of their, you know, life, so you can't quite figure it out. So I would say... Because I talked to Jack about, because my boyfriend came through like 40 minutes in and he was like, there was like some gay bar scene. He was like, oh, what is this? And I was like, something for the podcast, weirdly enough. And he was like, oh, I want to watch. Can you start it over? And I was like, I'm 40 minutes in and I, I'm going to be honest. I don't want to have to rewatch those first 40 minutes again. Like, yeah, there's a lot that happens. I was like, I'll give you a refresh. Basically two murders have happened. Like. I'll get you up to speed, but I really don't want to watch those first 40 minutes again. But then um, when that character came up later, I was talking to, to him about it. And I was like, I guess she pronouns, because for the most part, they're they present, you know, they're female presenting. So right. I would say right. female pronouns for these people who are most likely sex workers and also police informants in their off hours. Right. But not police informants by choice because it cuts immediately to sharing information from sharing information to, oh, by the way, get up here and give me a blowjob. Well, no. So that's the thing they do. They are the cops that picked them up were not in, in on the fact that they were informants. They were just being harassed and like harangued and assaulted. Oh, maybe. Okay, yeah, I get that's true. Uh, The one cop is one who recurs throughout this movie and also looks like the murderer and Pacino, kind of, which is done on purpose. And the other one is the guy who played the mobster on The Office. (laughs) The mobster on The Office? Was that an earlier season or no? Oh, was that Gabagool? Was it the Gabagool episode? Yes, 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 yes. He's the guy who is like, if it's blah, I send it back. If it's blah, I send it back. That guy is the cop who's coercing this person to give him uh, a blowjob against their will. So, like, so, the point of the of the movie is that Pacino fits the MO or the, the, pro, the profile of the victims, that like they all look the same. And so that's why he is selected. 
Yes, they're all like poofy black hair, uh, kind of dark skinned, like for like a white olive person. Skinned. Yes, yes, thank you. Uh, Tone with a little muscle. Tan. Yeah, toned with a little muscle and about the same height. And it's like, it is literally the worst possible choice you could give me personally and you sort of the same in a movie where you're trying to follow something that's kind of nuanced is like 50% of the characters are body doubles. Yes. Well, and also like there are so many choices for leather gear that you can pick. And instead you put them all in the same jacket and the same hat and the same sunglasses. So I was like, we, there's not even But that's like, the point. Like he was trying to make a movie that was confusing. I know, but it's too confusing. Like there's a, there's a level of I'm okay with being this confused because it's up for interpretation. But then there's the level of confused I currently am where I go, oh, wait a minute. That's supposed to be the same person from before. And I didn't know that, that I didn't know the first killer got killed the second time until after the movie was over. And I was like reading trivia about it on IMDb. Like that's not effective because then there's no point to it. Do you know what I mean? Right. But I think part of, yeah, I I think you're totally right. But I think the other part of it too is he's making an art house movie and we aren't, we aren't aware that we're watching an art house movie. I think it's also because the people in the movie aren't aware they're in an art house movie. It felt like he was the only one aware. Yeah, I mean, like, Pacino doesn't seem to be aware he's in a movie. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Pacino doesn't seem to be as aware in any movie in this, let alone an art house movie. But he, so he, at times, it seems like his motivation and character is he is actually the killer, or he's also a killer, and then at I never times got he that seems once. scared by it. Oh, interesting. Because at times to me, it seems like he's ready to kill some of these people. At times to me, it seems like he's latently homosexual and afraid of his sexuality. That one at I time, got. it seems like he's, uh, yeah. And it just, like, none of this stuff has any, and it's, like, I guess the point is all of them are true and all of them aren't true. And you're supposed to just suss it out for yourself. But the movie is, as a, as for me personally, as a watch is a nightmare. Like it's, and part of it is, you know, I went into it thinking it was a conventional narrative, which it is not. And so I that's think that's the other thing is that background research. It is not presented in a way that like tells you it's a non-conventional, non-linear narrative. Right. It is presented as a point A to point B story because the editing is not it's not overt enough to tell you that you're watching things out of order and you're supposed to be a little confused about what's happening. Cause I've seen those movies and I think that's effective, but then you get this where it seems to be presented linearly. And then you read after the fact that it wasn't linear and that's why you're confused. And I think that's, what's frustrating to me about the, about the whole experience. I I agree wholeheartedly. It's really, really frustrating. So (laughs) Pacino is going to this club, the, the, Paul Sorvino, does he get his assignment at well, this we get, point? Yeah, no, we, get the fir- we have to do the first murder. First murder has to happen. The first murder hasn't happened yet. We have to. We didn't cover the first murder, because that has to happen before oh, okay. Pacino gets his assignment. Okay. Because that's when we're in the gay bar. I was, I was like, oh, so, this movie so, dives right in with the Oh, you know what? Part. I wrote it was... I, I wrote that this was Pacino, because I thought it was Pacino, but it wasn't Pacino. It's a different actor. Correct. There you go. So this is when we go to the club for the first time, and there's just so many hairy butts and drug straps. They're just furry tuckuses as far as the eye can see. 
because I was like, oh, this movie dives right in with body parts. That's cool. And then all of a sudden, we're five minutes in and we're in a seedy bar basement where guys are playing pool in jock straps and like doing debauchery and doing poppers and smoking. And I was like, whoa, this is this is what kind of what it's like. That's that's rad as fuck. Yeah, I wouldn't know. So you'll have to tell me. Uh, but it seems like it is done in a way to be shocking. Maybe it's also true. And maybe, maybe the truth is that the standard gay bar, especially then would have been shocking to a mainstream audience. I mean, I wouldn't uh, say it's the standard bar, but it is a gay bar. And I think that isn't another point. So apparently this movie was released with a disclaimer that it wasn't intended to represent the gay community as a whole similar and then i think pacino has gone on record saying that it's sort of how the godfather isn't meant to represent italian americans as a whole which i as a 2020 audience viewer i make that i can see that that of course it's not but that's because today there's slightly more options than there were in 1980 not a whole lot it's all pretty garbage but in the year 1980 it was like there wasn't there weren't gay people in cinema and if they were, they were coded because they weren't allowed to be. And so this was a lot of people's first mainstream film to talk about gay people. And it just happened to focus on a subset of gay people who are fully legitimate and fully valid in their existence, but are not indicative of everyone. And so to try and say something like that, I think makes sense. But then people read it as, well, why would you say that if you didn't think it was going to be? But it's because people are stupid. Do you know what I mean? Well, I mean, from a cinematic standpoint, this is like one of the first 10 movies that really feature gay people in any way. I mean, any way beyond like, right, right. An openly gay character that is actively pursuing sex with someone of the same sex is like, I'm sorry if that's dismissive to people who identify differently, but I'm just trying to like parse it out is like, this is the first people who are openly gay and allowed to be so in a movie got in a mainstream movie with it with it with the likes of al pacino it's got to be in the first five movies to have that happen yeah exactly so you're going to have most people taking this away as a representation of the whole culture because frankly at this point most people are deeply closeted in their personal lives too yeah it was the same issue my friend had with bohemian rhapsody because it really glossed over the whole him discovering he was gay and like his gay his bisexual his interest in men because freddie mercury was bisexual and his interest in men and because in bohemian rhapsody he it's sort of he has sex with a guy and then it's immediately like a barrel down a hill of like seedy disgusting dirty sex and then he gets aids and people who actually know queen and freddie mercury's history understand that there is you know they cut out parts to like get to things faster but you know susan and karen wednesday matinee in iowa don't know that and so they're seeing it and would take it at face value so it's things like that that can be problematic because not everyone has you know experience and exposure i mean i think most people at this point there's like two everybody knows they're gay but they're not out gay people in their town and you know everyone has whatever coded language they use of them for them Yes. So we're in this club and these two guys who look almost identical to one another go home with, with each other uh, to a hotel and uh, they do some they do some poppers. And uh, the reason I know what they are is because there's a town in Virginia called Alexandria. I think it was. No, no, no. I think it was Leesburg. 
uh, which was not too far from where a friend of mine lived. And we were down there to like have lunch. And then we were walking around the little downtown of Leesburg. And for whatever reason, downtown Leesburg has a sex store like right downtown, which is yeah. shocking for a small town to me. It's like right there on Front Street. And so like being, you know, we'd had a couple beers at lunch and it's like, yeah, this is fun. Let's go wander around this sex store. So we were looking at it a little bit. And at the checkout was like a bunch of VCR cleaner. <laughs> Oh yeah. So it, they what either the they either market it as VCR head cleaner or nail polish remover, and then there's like two dusty bottles of nail polish that are technically for sale. Yeah. So it was VCR head cleaner, and I'm like, what the hell, VCR head cleaner? So me being me, I just asked the clerk. I was like, why do you sell VCR head cleaner? And they were like, uh, for cleaning VCRs. And I was like, what is that like a thing? Is it like a thing people do? And they. I obviously got enough along that they were like, well, this person's not a cop. And the person was just like, it's Poppers. And I was like, excuse me? It's Poppers. And I was like, I, and they finally, it's Poppers. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I know what that means. And I left and then I went home and Googled like, what are Poppers? And then it was explained to me as like a gay club drug and and all the various things it does. And I was like, okay, well, now I know a thing that I never would have known had I not walked into that store. (laughs) I like that. That's fun. I also... Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I learned a thing because I was like, "Why on earth do you have VCR head cleaner?" Uh, the one thing I really so like is options. there. Yeah, exactly. It was like what? But the other thing I really like is instead of porn, which we found out later is in abundance, this person just has wrestling magazines. Well, it was wrestling porn magazines. Which no, one of them was was uh, one of them was a magazine. Well, one of them was a magazine I recognized. <laughs> like, I know the publication. Oh, I didn't. It was just I, a wrestling I, magazine. It, I thought it said, like, wrestling something and then looked like sexy wrestling. It didn't look like uh, WWE or whatever it would okay, be. Okay, maybe. Been. I thought one of them said Pro Wrestling Illustrated, which is it, like a one real One of them might have been, because if he's into wrestling, it's, you know, that's an across-the-board thing. Right, Yeah. Uh, but I thought that was amusing. And then this person gets hogtied and then stabbed to death with well, no, they uh, have sex first. Life. He does get to have sex first, which is the crazy, oh, which, okay. I, which okay. I feel like is an important factor in the murdering thing that it's not. Yes, a, that is true. It's not a temptation begets murder kind of situation. Like, um, what's that Brian De Palma movie where the when the when the gay guy gets turned on, he murders people. Uh, is a maniac. I mean, I'm sure that's a th- I. I don't know it. Okay. Which is a common, you know, thread of queer people are crazy and villains that like when they get turned on, they rather than act on their in their instinct, they murder. But this dude, like, they act they fully fuck. Like they take yeah. a one way ticket to Bone Town Express and then the guy like they're having kind of pillow talk and then all of a sudden the knife comes out and the guy gets tied up and murdered. Yeah, and the part that really annoys me here is something we talk about in, the, in movies a lot, but it's like the dude with the knife is commanding him to do things, and the other guy just goes along with it, and it's like, hey, he, you know he's gonna kill you, so you might as well go down swigging. It's he's like turn over, and, and he ties him up, and it's like now you're def- definitely gonna I mean, die, and you have no. He is fully. Clothed, it doesn't feel like sexy play. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely not. No, no, no. Oh, I he thought you were gonna go to a different direction. No, no, no. no. The guy is, the assailant is fully clothed wearing a knife, and the victim is fully naked laying down in bed. So already yeah. there's an established, like, I am completely vulnerable and exposed right now. Like, wh- wh- he has the knife to his throat when he makes him, like, turn over so he can hog tie him. So, like, he doesn't have 
I feel like he's at a mental state and physical state of, I don't have anything to fight back with. Sure, but just me to you, should this situation ever arise, jump up and start swinging. No one expects the naked guy to start punching him. That's all I'm saying. And I will say that this movie expertly crafts tension. The tension in this movie is artful. Because as soon as the, the sex finished, I was like, oh, oh, he's he's going to be fine. Like, that's weird. I'm fascinated. What's I'm what is this movie going to be? And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, he didn't leave yet. This guy's going to die. And it just they 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 show you the finish line and then make you walk the rest of the way there. And I think that's what's so great about the tension. I agree with you. It's extremely tense. It's also really graphic. Like this stabbing is visceral and ugly. My and shoulders were at my ears. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's terrible. So we cut from this to Paul Sorvino, who's really disgusted at the autopsy being done. And then we find out the killer has no sperm, uh, that he's shooting blanks as the medical examiner puts it so eloquently. Yeah. And also we, this is where you learn that the, Potential sex worker, potential drag queen from the beginning works with the cop sometimes and identifies. So at this point, we get into the Al Pacino portion of the movie and he is with uh, Paul Sorvino, who's like explaining the need for him to go undercover and tries to. There's a bit where he's trying to be like, you ever had a man go? He, he, he says it really gross, but he basically well, is like. He starts with, have you ever had your dick sucked by a man? And yeah, then uses yeah. euphemisms. And I was like, that's right. the op. You don't. <laughs> That's not how that works. You don't kick the door open and then gently creak it back. You know, it's like you 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 asked, he answered. But they basically have this round round where Al Pacino is like, I don't really want to go undercover. This doesn't seem like a good thing. And he basically, Servino basically tells him that it'll be great for his career. He can jump onto the detective squad, da, 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 da. And that most importantly, he looks like all the victims and he's the best candidate from the squad because of that. And this was where I already got confused because... There was no explanation of what his trajectory would be for this mission. Right. Like, there was no, you're going to get picked up. At a, it was just, you look like all the other victims, so we're going to give you some leather and send you in a, into an apartment, and you're going to go to the bars. Right. Is he supposed to get picked up by the killer? Is he supposed to look around and see, like, note everyone who leaves the bar together? And, like, what is he supposed to do? I think it's all of the above, basically. Honestly. Fair. So this cuts from him getting his undercover assignment to In Bed with Karen Allen, who I'm like, whoa, she's in this movie. I was like, Marion, what are you doing here? <laughs> right. Uh, a year later, she's in a much better movie. Is it a year later? Pretty sure Raiders is 81. Um, and I, they really, apparently a lot of her performance ended up on the cutting room floor. And I believe it because they gave her nothing to do in this cut. Yes. No, nothing at all. The other thing that's weird is, so watching the movie on Vudu, it feels like there's an algorithm that searches for cuts to black in order to insert advertisements where they're at least odd. Mm -hmm. But, and that's my hunch anyway, it's the only time I've ever watched anything that I remember. But it's especially tough with this movie because often it like cuts to black for momentary, uh, for a moment and then lifts from black and you're like in the middle of another conversation. So yes. it felt like somebody hit the scene skip button every time that happened. And I was like, wait, what, what is happening? There's also really weird flashes of white sporadically. That's, throughout. that's on purpose. That's porn, right? I think so. Cause I know he said that he intercut straight up gay porn into the first murder. Like if you, free, yeah. if you frame by frame it, like, um, yeah, 
the rescuers. I think that you're right. Yeah, I did not do that, but I think that you are correct. That's what I, that is. I didn't, because I don't, uh, Voodoo doesn't have a slow-mo. I was, because I was going to go back and see exactly, like, what he put in there, because that's crazy. Yeah. A bizarre choice too, and it's like again every every decision he makes is baffling to me. And it's really funny that I haven't watched The Exorcist in a long time, but I was thinking about that movie while watching this and having, or just after having watched this and learning the thing about the cutting and out of order. And I was like, oh yeah, that there is a lot of stuff in The Exorcist that you're like, what? Well, I guess demons, and then like that smooths it all over. But this movie doesn't have demons. However, some people have read this movie as another demon movie in order to try to make sense of it. That's a fascinating look at it. Although because the crazy thing is that the man who admitted to the murders that this movie based that the book that this movie is based on was in The Exorcist. Yes. He was actually like a producer or something on The Exorcist. He had some sort of other role, but I actually read an article. Also in the movie, he was an X-ray tech for like a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he he was like a key part of the making of it. I thought, but I read an article about that guy. I think it was that guy. It, f- it felt very true. Paul and I Bateson. meant to look this up. I read like a New Yorker or Atlantic article about that that insinuated that he was a murderer and got away with it. I think. Oh, yeah, no, so he so he was convicted of, like, found guilty of murdering one person, and in his confession talked about doing the other murders, but provided right. no concrete evidence or, like, facts that only a, the murderer would have known. There was no, nothing beyond, I killed those people and laughing about it, which really only proves you're crazy. It doesn't prove that you did it. Sure. So that's why that people aren't 100% sure that he actually committed all the murders, but he did commit the one that got him caught. Right. Well, anyway, apropos of nothing, he goes undercover. And I was wondering, you know, undercover, I feel like, is in every cop show or movie. It's extremely common. It seems like 50% of the police force is undercover at any one time. Yeah. But it can't It can't be very common, right? It seems like a last resort type situation. Yeah, there's no... Well, also, there's no fucking way the police force gave a shit about a guy who murdered gay guys in 1979. Well, like, yeah, I mean, I'm sure they made a cursory investigation, but there's no way they were doing this. Yeah, there's no, no way, because that's just, no one cared. Um, but the movie world would have you believe that every other cop is undercover in some way. Right, exactly. Or um, that so every goes, other journalist is undercover on some assignment. Exactly, yeah, it's very silly. Um, he goes undercover... And he meets he he rents an apartment and he meets his neighbor who's a character I I instantly was very charmed by and liked he's this like struggling writer I loved him and I was like I really don't want anything bad to happen to him <laughs> that that did catch me by surprise later spoilers because um, he doesn't love- look like he doesn't look like the M, the profile he's like very lanky he's got like sandy brown curly like floppy hair. He's got glasses. Like he doesn't. He looks like a like a playwright. Like he'd be writing in a coffee shop. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but they decide to go. Or first they meet while uh, Pacino is taking out all these magazines he found in the closet. At first, I thought they gave him to gave them. To yes, him. yeah, I did too. It's like, what is this a move-in gift? But I love that one of them is called Mandate, but it's not spelled as two words. It's spelled as one, as if like it, maybe it's, this is it's a, probably political themed. 
It didn't look it, but it, it, I don't know. I just love the idea that it's like a required, a required one. This is the required, this is the required, uh, porno bag. Uh, yeah, yeah, but, uh, help, uh, smut? No, no, no. I'm looking for like a category of, of porn person, right? Like you've got SM, you've got, and then, Twinks, like, bears, jocks. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like one of them is mandate. Like you're like what I don't know oh. what the what is the broad category? word for all those words. I guess category category felt wrong as a way to describe people, but whatever. No, I mean category. it's not really people. Yeah. But I just love that like uh, gays yeah. love putting people in labels and boxes. Right. But I'm just saying, like like the idea that you're at the thing and you're like, all right, leather, you know, young looking people, hairy people, older people. Oh, mandate, the required one. The required pornography. But he, uh, they, this is where we learn that the landlady who never comes back is well. She doesn't uh, show up. She gets talked no. about. No, we we no we see her. No, sorry, that's a lie. We do see her at the very end of the movie being investigated. Oh, and the yeah. reason I the reason I know this is because I eventually the sound mixing on the voodoo version of this is horrible. It's like super spiked in the fight or the uh, the murders and it's whisper quiet when they're talking. So well, I put the subtitles on. Almost all the audio had to be overdubbed because of protests. Yes, and we, we should talk about that too. But uh, that doesn't excuse the fact that it could be mixed to an even level. I do that for this podcast, for Christ's sake. That's fair. Uh, but I had to put the subtitles on because of it, because it was just spiking so loud. Well, did you notice that all of the extras dialogue was subtitled? I've never seen that in a movie before. A fair amount. Yeah, I did notice a fair amount of it was. So I, that's how I knew that she was there. Anyway, they go to a diner. Both of them have their shirts unbuttoned. There's like one button fastened. It's the bottom of the shirt, which I like well, yeah. very much. Like at that point, why bother? Just be flowed in the breeze. Because you want they, a little something. <laughs> you want the bare minimum of attached clothing. Yeah. Uh, but they go to the diner. These might be the best eggs we've ever seen on the podcast. I know we I like to so. have our a podcast within a podcast egg cast and boy are these a good set of scrambled eggs really yeah. nice they are they look like perfect diner scrambled eggs oh yeah for sure and this is also where we learn that the gays know everything because yes the neighbor across the hall is like oh by the way this other because they're like al pacino is trying to be a, is like clearly a cop or like a mom trying to talk to her kids like did uh-huh. you hear about the thing that happened and then he's like, well, did you hear about the one three months ago? That's basically the same thing. Because here's the tea. And like yeah. talks, ev- like spills everything. And I was like, oh, I don't think that the, your commanding officer, Paul Sorbino, made it sound like no one else knows about that other one. Yeah. Well, of course, the gay community would be aware that there was a psycho in their midst. I feel well, yes. that's pretty weird. Not that weird. But the other thing that's great about this scene, and it's very clearly uh, improv, the waitress, when she, oh, I guess you don't, it could be a waiter, you don't really see them, but they pour coffee and then move the pot backwards and splash on the neighbor, Ted, and they both react to it in the moment. And it's I, very it clearly very not scripted. Lovely. Yeah, it's like he does, he has a little thing and Pacino's right there with him. And it's like, oh, great. This is like a cool little moment that they captured because you couldn't script the coffee. Like four droplets of coffee come out of the pot. It wasn't like, you know, splash. It's enough that you would like lick like you're like, oh, let me lick that drop off my off my yeah, yeah. thumb area. So we go back to the bar. Uh, everybody's shirtless. Is this cop night or is that? No, Um this is oh, that's right before the hanky code. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he, I see everybody's the hanky code note. Yes. So everybody's shirtless. There are a bunch of people with handkerchiefs out of their back pockets. We go from this to 
Which, like, the progression is logical here of, like, oh, that's clearly something I should learn. So he goes to a shop, and it's actually Powers Booth for, like, this one scene and one scene only, who explains to him hanky code, which is something that he would need to know as an undercover cop. Yeah. Um, and if you want to do, like, a quick, you don't need to get into every category. Of it, I mean, the movie explain explains it, because I was shocked right, but for the, the listeners so well. It's just that, yeah. each, like, basically, before that we could put whatever we wanted on apps and say like i'm into this bloop and like you could sort and through categories and scroll through people you had to like secretly let the world know that a you were a gay guy and b what you were into and so we created this system of color coding and what's each color meant something different but also what side you wore the handkerchief on meant something as well so could mean that you're into giving something or receiving something or whatever Sure. And that even extends to the keys, because if you noticed in the bar, some guys had keys hanging on their back, like left side or right side. Oh, I I did not catch that detail. The keys can mean, the key ring can mean like, I have somewhere or I need somewhere. I don't remember. I honestly just always have the the, like explanation list open on my phone's Chrome so that whenever (laughs) it comes up, because it comes up all the time in gay conversation, we can be like, oh, what was that one again? That's this one. Deep mauve or whatever the hell. (laughs) Is it... (laughs) At this point, mostly just people checking a reference list, or is it like, are you an, are you an anomaly in that you haven't memorized this information, or is that most people? Because this feels so, like one of those things that would like be vestigial, where it once served a great purpose and everybody knew the code, and now that you don't have to have such a code, that it's just kind of like lingering in a sort of tradition way? I think a little bit tradition, but also there's, I would say, probably 10 that most people who know what a hanky, who most gay people who know what hanky code is and are in that sure. world, know what the big ten are. I would say. Okay. No, the so actual so number. it's like you the the further down the list you're going, you might yeah. If you're keep, like keep I'm keep I'm okay. a crew with pink polka dots, like I, I don't know what the fuck that is. I'm gonna have to yeah. Google that. But if you're okay. like, oh, I have orange in my left, I'm like, oh, I I know what that means. Okay. D- can. Is that one that you can say publicly? Because I think people are going to. Oh, orange. Orange means anything goes. Left means giving. Wait. Yeah, left means giving. Right means taking. Okay. Is that one that you want in, in public? I'm not saying that, should I cut that out? No, I'm not because I'm not saying that I like use it. But that's just one oh, of the big oh, oh, ten. Oh, okay, okay. That's you see that one, you know that one. Yeah, like that's one of like the okay. big ten that I'm like, oh yeah, I know what that okay. one means. Okay. Because right, it's pretty. The base, basically, the basic ones that aren't super specific, and I'm like, oh yeah, that I like know what that means. Yeah, but so we talked about this already, so I'm not going to do it in depth here. But they to set the scene where he gets the code explained, followed by him requesting water sports, and then a, a guy comes up to him in the bar with and the coolest like, belt. Yeah, well, it's a harness, right? That's a harness. No, his because it, it, it's 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 a it's at his waistline. Oh, 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 he's he he's also got a is is it not harness man? I thought harness man is the one that walks over to him. I thought it was suspenders and a cool belt because the belt looks like the grill of a of an old car with headlights. Yeah, it and does, it actually yes. lights up. And I was like, yes. I've never seen that, but I want to. Yeah, it's pretty wild. But he comes up to Pacino and is like, oh, you're into this thing. And Pacino's like, no, I just like to watch. And the guy's like, well, get that handkerchief out of your fucking pocket then. Because there that's is a color that for that problem. Yeah. Actually, no, yeah. there is. I don't remember what it is, but I know that there is a color yeah. for it. But so, like, at, from a directing standpoint, Friedkin made his character stupid, 
or an asshole or obtuse. But all of that, like from a viewer standpoint, if you're trying to get across, this guy's in over his head, putting those scenes in the opposite order is like, oh, what am I doing? I better get some learning character growth. And instead, the opposite is like he's a jerk at best. Yeah. And I so almost I was almost waiting for like expecting his neighbor to be super secretly into the SM leather world and sort of be him being like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I, I'm really interested. And then the neighbor being like, oh, well, let me teach you and have it become a, a birdcage moment. Yeah. Yeah. Any time there could have been a narrative thread, he zigs or zags to get away from it. He like yeah. Anytime you could have a, a solid thematic element choice, it's like, no, 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 not that. This other thing. I don't want to clear. Uh, right. So he, he rendezvous with uh, Sorvino and they have the, the first like, hey, here's where I'm at in my investigation kind of check in. Well, uh, there also and, might have been he also might have seen the murderer in the park. Yes, he thinks that he did. That. But the, the the other thing with this movie is like it's so hard to keep track of because it's literally flipping a switch where it's like he's at the bar. He's at, he's talking to his boss. He's at the bar. He's talking to his boss. He's at the bar. He's, he's the talking park. to his boss. Yeah. he's uh, yeah. And then sometimes you believe the switch in the middle for the park. But it's just like flipping back and forth between these two things. So, you know, they're at the bar. We're with Reno right back to the bar. And it's this this time there's uh, there's. <laughs> A lot of people in the bar, of course, but it's very sweaty. And so everyone's hair is like doing that humidity poof out. So there's just all these like or, poofy. Or it's all wet stuck to their forehead. Yes. It's yes. Both. But <laughs> that and it's just so many mustaches of every shape, size and color. Oh, yeah, baby. They also bring someone up that never comes back. I don't think Tommy the Joker. Yeah. No, they say very specifically to watch out for this Tommy the Joker person and then never, ever talk about them again. Okay. And also that the cops can't move on Tommy the Joker. Right. <laughs> for know. some reason. Because he's, I think he's financially very powerful. Well, it's like he how William Friedkin's friends were in the mafia. Right. And they said, you can film in the bar as long as you don't, the movie's not about us. Right, right. Uh, so this is where we see the killer pick a victim out of a group of men congregating in the park and then takes this supposed victim out behind a tree. And then the, the guy who we think is the killer gets killed. Yeah. It was very bizarre. I'm so, I was, I was just confused because I didn't notice that until later I was like, Oh, it's the killer. Cause it's all kind of, there was a movie in like 2007, I want to say called the covenant, which was just a, a gay boy, witch movie where the magic, the design choice for the magic was translucent globs, and I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> and all of the boys looked the same with dark hair, except for one who was blonde, and the whole thing was color-corrected the fuck down, so it was all grays and blues. And it reminded me of that, where I was like, I, I can't tell who I'm looking at. Right. But he that's the thing. This is done on purpose because it's like, fuck you. You're watching a F William Friedkin movie. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that seems like his motto is like, fuck you for watching my movie. So this and the crazy thing is we see the guy get stabbed and then we cut like immediately from the stab to Karen Allen and Pacino mid thrust in bed together. For someone who's undercover, he sure spends a lot of time fucking his girlfriend. Right. He keeps going home. It seems like the thing that you wouldn't do most importantly as an undercover agent or a cop is is go home to your girlfriend on the regular. Well, especially uh, because the the whole their whole first conversation, which was weirdly paced and drawn out, was 
I have to go away for a while. I'm going undercover. Yeah. And then he doesn't go away. No, he doesn't at all. And then <laughs> their apartment is comically large. Uh, it's she, never exp- she lives this- in the loft from Ghost. Yes, and it's never explained what she does, so I don't know where she's getting the money, but she has a lot of it, because the New York cop is not getting paid this kind of apartment money. She's dating a, an architecture, an uh, archaeology professor. <laughs> I, you almost got me. I was like, wait, did they say that? Is she cheating on someone? Oh, no, you're ridiculous. <laughs> I love, it cuts, again, it's like every cut in this movie is just a hard cut to something completely Star different. wipe. Yeah. No, it's not a star wipe at least gives you some transition. This is like fade black backup, different scene, new people, mid conversation, and we're in. It's like there's never there's no preamble and anything. And then when they're having the conversations, it's huge gaps in air in all of it. Yeah, but we get to so much what my high school theater director called egg rolls, which meant he has time to walk over to the Chinese restaurant near the school, get an egg roll, eat it, and come back, and you still haven't said the next line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say this is an egg rolls movie. But my favorite part here is this newspaper. It's a New York Post or the Daily News. I forget which one. But it's in, like, Pearl Harbor attacked font. It says, Homo Killer on the Loose. You'd think they would have given him a more clever name than that. Yes, and this is where we learn that the the playwright neighbor has an abusive boyfriend and Pacino wishes he could help. Yeah. And that's the thing. It starts to feel like Pacino is kind of falling in love with the neighbor, but that never comes to anything. Apparently it starts in the to book feel... he is. Apparently oh. the book leans it, uh, explains a little more about that stuff. Apparently there's also some scenes in the book where the Pacino character is really homophobic when he was in the, the military, which is, he, we don't even know he was in the military in the movie version. No. But he's like extremely homophobic and sort of like the classic trope of a self-hating gay person. Mm-hmm. I guess trope might not be the right word. That happens in the real world too, but a classic whatever that would be. But this movie is a thousand times more interesting. I mean, throw that part out if you want, but it's a thousand times more interesting if he is learning that he's less straight than he thinks he is. And that causes conflicted feelings, especially because it could have been set up as like, he's never been exposed to the, the gay world at all. And as soon as he gets into it, he realizes like, Oh, wait a minute. This kind of, yeah, this kind of feels good. Yeah, exactly. It's a far more interesting movie. If that's, Oh my God. It's a far more cohesive movie. You walk out of that movie going, I understand what happened. Right. So this is when we go back to the club, except it's cop night, and he's not dressed as a cop, so he gets thrown out immediately. Yeah. Which um, is a thing. What I what I want to know, I hey, I get it, I respect it, but what I want to know is how everyone has such a large costume budget, number one. Number two... It's an expensive hobby. And, and this is one where maybe you can help me here. Is there, like, a changing room? So there's clothes check, usually. Okay. Because... Most of these people are wearing outfits that you would not wear on the street, particularly in an era when being gay was a good way to get beat the shit kicked out of you. Like, the, the the outfits these people are wearing in the club is, like, very obviously for sex and also I'm gay. Yeah, so, like, harnesses and gear and stuff is easy to – you just wear every, underneath your clothes and then there's usually a clothes check. And then you can just keep your jacket and your harness or whatever and your jock on or whatever – but for something like cop night, you probably would wear like a big overcoat or something to obscure and then check it. There's also a pair of handcuffs hanging in the middle of the club that are like I love it. 16 feet wide and 8 feet tall. 
Well, so there's a bar in Philly called the Bike Stop that I go to all the time, and it's a very it's a darker bar. Like it's just not very well lit on any of the three floors, and it wasn't. I had been going there for. I want to say a year before one of my friends said something. I was like, "Oh yeah, so and so were there. They were drunk enough to try. They were they were gonna try and climb up onto the motorcycle by the bathrooms." And I was like, "The what?" And they were like, "The the actual motorcycle they have mounted as a room divider, like six feet in the air between by the bathrooms and the video games." And I was like, "Oh, I don't think I've noticed that before." You didn't notice a motorcycle in the bar? Because it's it's a very dark bar, A, and it's not like it's it's like rusty and old and like looks dark I see. like color like the rest of it. It's not like it's a cherry red thing. I see, I see. Well, speaking of of cherry, this Mercedes convertible we see in the next scene is gorgeous. Yes. Very beautiful car. Uh this guy is loading it up with art, I think. And then we have a Dark Knight Rises-esque. He starts driving, and then suddenly it's nighttime. It was, I think it was, it it was fashion. I don't think it was art. I think it was fashion. Oh, uh, okay. Fashion makes more sense. But he drives to a peep show place. A porno theater. Yeah. Well, it's not a porno theater. They're booths. So that is, I, there is, I think I've heard it, refer, I don't remember it, back then, porno theaters were like movie theaters. Full theaters. But these, yes. these little booth things were, I, I, I feel like I've heard them called theaters. I can't remember. I'll have to ask I'm my sh- old I'm, sh- I'm, I'm sure that they had similar. I'm just, for the sake of the people at home listening, I want to be accurate in describing it. It's basically like, like you go into a, it was the, the, the dressing room area of a store, essentially. And each dressing room had a movie projector and a little quarter box for it. Yeah. So the guy come, gets out of the convertible sizes up someone who again looks just like himself goes into the booth with them locks the door behind them puts on the porn movie and then murders Mm -hmm. and the movie this is the first time that it does this specific effect although there's been similar ones it does this like static washover thing and then kind of fades up and down with it and this if you were to choose to believe the demon theory, I would buy as a major part of it where this thing is like jumping in and out of people to commit the murders. Mind you, there is absolutely no evidence in this movie that there's no. a demon involved whatsoever. This is a straw. This is a straw this, situation. This is a uh, the whole movie was in Cameron's head, Ferris Bueller type reading, which is like you can make that reading and you can find support for it, but it is unlikely that that is the intended. Intention. Yeah, but the the bit that I like the most of this is the murderer putting a bloody quarter into the the box to make the movie keep going so he can buy himself a little time to get away. And then that later is like, oh, there's this bloody thumbprint, so we should be able to catch this killer. But then it's just this whole there's got to be multiple killers is the right answer thing. Yeah. And like, I will say, I'm interested in a movie where you see that each killer keeps getting killed by the next killer. Like, I think right, that's yeah. a very interesting movie, but you can't have all your killers look the same. Right, exactly. Or it needs to be much more, like, at least alternate mustache, no mustache. Like, you got to give us something. He intentionally cast people that looked alike. He was trying to make it hard to follow. Yeah. So there is a great edit here. Uh, since we're trashing editing so much, there is a great edit in the following scene where we're talking about 
the murderer and there's a great cut where someone opens a door to leave one room and then we cut to a door opening in a different room and it's it's a totally different actor but it's a great transition where it's like door open and exit cuts hard cut to door opening as someone enters yeah it's it's nice there's a lot of great choices in this movie they're just you kind of have to like look for them yeah yeah so this is where we talk about the thumbprint on the quarter which leads nowhere and then we immediately cut back no, to the does. bar where well, they that's that it leads nowhere in in terms of finding the killer. They that's how they pin it on Stewart. But it's not his thumbprint. They say that later. Oh, I thought they said it was. We have your thumbprint on the quarter, Stewart. That he they say that to him, but then later they're like, it does. That's why they let him go. I think. Or wait, am I confusing Skip and Stewart? Because again, yes. the names are even. You're confusing okay. Skip and Stewart. Okay. All right. Yeah. Even the names. Even the names. It's so hard to. Uh. I feel like there's a valid criticism of this podcast that like we often miss things. I think that's completely valid. This time I feel like I didn't miss anything and I still don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Yeah. And then this is also where the um, Paul Sorvino, who's the chief, I guess. Yeah. His boss. I don't know. I don't know ranks. I think he's the head of the detective. Super chief. Yeah. Well, he's the head of the detective squad, I believe is what it is. Okay. He comes in and he's like, look, I don't really care who who's doing this. I just need you to find someone we can blame so everyone right. will shut up about it. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, that's the attitude that I expect. Yeah, yeah. And also, if that's the movie from Jump Street, it's far more interesting. Mm-hmm. Or that, or that Paul Sorvino is the only one who actually wants the killer caught. Yes, any number of these threads are a more interesting movie if they if they actually pursue them. Like Pacino is basically sitting there to get the first person he can. Much more interesting. Mm-hmm. As it is, this is the scene where I was like, holy crap, this movie is graphic because this is like, yeah, it, it's a fisting scene. It's cut very salaciously. It is. I was like, wait you. a minute. This is a real actual movie in cinemas that was eligible for an academy award it made 21 million dollars at the box office in 1980 yeah and it stars al pacino like it's insane that he's in this movie absolutely insane that there's actual fisting in a real movie is insane to me right Yes, it is. And this is the scene that I was talking about before when I was like, this is just done. This is very salacious and it's intentionally so. He learns at the bar while this is going on and he's kind of like shocked by it that there's this guy, Skip, who works at a steakhouse that for one reason or another people think is the guy. So he kind of sets the cops after Skip. I I was trying to explain to my boyfriend. I was like, he's the scuffler. You know, he gets into scuffles. (laughs) And my boyfriend was like, I don't think that's a word, but now it is. Um, and this is where Al Pacino gets asked to dance. And all I thought about was that episode of 30 Rock where Titus Burgess gets Alec Baldwin to dance and goes yes, and yes. realizes he's straight. But also, Al Pacino does so many poppers. I was like, yes, he does. This is your first time out. I yeah. would not do that because you're going to yeah. have you're going to pass out. Yeah. And or watching the world or... go all blurry and like in and out. I was like, yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God. Nothing good's going to happen to Al Pacino right now. Yeah, exactly. It's a weird scene. It also leads to him going home with Skip. But did the steakhouse happen already? No, the steakhouse happens and then he goes home with Skip. Okay, so so does the dance scene right after the steakhouse? No, dance scene's right before steakhouse. That's the crazy okay, thing about okay. this fucking movie. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's Papa's impossible dance, to keep it straight. And yes. then he tells them about Skip. 
And then yes. they okay. ask their okay. informant, and the informant, she says, oh, he works at a steakhouse. Yes. And also, some I knew people who were at the peep show, who were at the booth, the porno booth, the, booth, the night the What's-His-Face got killed. They heard the killer singing a song. Yes. And then they never, that part doesn't come back either. I think Pacino sings it to Stewart. I see. Well, um, at, th- at this point, we have Ed O'Neill as a cop from Married with Children and also uh, Modern Family. Wait, what? Yeah, the guy that he uh, Al Bundy is one of the two cops at the steakhouse. You didn't you didn't recognize no. him? Yeah, no, it's a hundred percent. It's him. I have to go back because I didn't notice that he's in a few. He's in this scene and he's in the interrogation scene and then he kind of fades out of the movie. Wow. Um, so yeah, they go to this. These two cops go to a steakhouse and sit on the same side of the booth and instantly are just like the most obvious cops in the world. Yes, they're they're eyeballing everybody in the place. They they're get not even at a gay. It's not even like they're undercover at a gay bar. <laughs> they're just at a steakhouse. Yeah. They're at a steak. Like that's a normal place. Also, one these are some cheap looking cuts of beef. <laughs> these are some and like knives. cousin Eddie would have served this to you uh, in a vacation. This looks like the steaks cousin Eddie cooks in Vegas vacation that are just like on largely rock. largely gristle on a rock. Um, cause it's supposed to be this like high end steakhouse, but then he, he shoots the steak eating in the same way he shoots the sex scenes, which is to say like in a way that makes it look kind of nasty. And I feel like he was trying to say something here, but I don't really like the message doesn't land for me. It's like, I see that you're trying to make it la- this land. I don't know what you're trying to make land, but it doesn't work for me. Yeah. And so this is where I get confused because the steakhouse knife almost looks like the knife the first guy used, but then yes. they say... So then they hold it up and like, it could be the knife, whatever. It's also like a generic steak knife. It's not a particular, it doesn't have like a hooked tip or like a weird thing embossed on the handle. It's just a black handle steak knife. If it like really like snared backwards. Yes, something to make it obvious that or maybe the tip is, you know, blunted in a weird way or the handle's got a funny shape. Just anything. Yeah. And so they uh, give Pacino a wire and they're like, go pick up Skip and get him to confess to murder, I guess, somehow. Yeah, yeah. You know how you do when you take a guy home from the bar to fuck? Yeah, it's like, we're, we're about to get down to business here, but before we do, do you have a minute to talk about our Lord and Savior? Like, that would be the same level of turn. Yes. And so, <laughs> um, th- they go inside, and all of a sudden, the wire stops working, the, the I, cops are like moving the antenna frantically on top, like you're I trying wish to there adjust was an the rabbit ears. I wish we had seen inside to know what was going on that made it stop working. Yeah, yeah. I and you can kind of hear Pacino asking him to tie him up, which is how the killer killed the first person. So he's well, trying to like put him in the same position. I couldn't sort tell of. who was talking. No, because they even sound the same. Yeah, I was like, who is this? Is this who? I'm confused. So they rush in. To try to save Pacino, who is hogtied, and they arrest both of them. And they're for some reason they're trying to keep Pacino's cover to Skip. So instead of putting them in separate rooms, they're next to each other. So they're both being simultaneously interrogated, which is like from a police standpoint weird. Yeah. But then the like of all the weird what the hell this movie does, the door opens. This enormous man wearing a cowboy Seven hat and a jockstrap man in a jockstrap <laughs> and a cowboy hat and boots. Yes for no reason slaps Pacino in the mouth, like knocks him out of his chair and then just leaves the room. And then apparently that is the real man who did that during real police interrogations in the seventies. 
Wow. Because, because it was so fucking pants on head crazy that if anyone tried to complain and say, like, they beat me up, this guy, this seven foot black guy in a jock strap <laughs> and a cowboy hat came in and hit me, they're going to be like, that's insane. That clearly yes. didn't happen. Oh, okay. Well, uh, kudos to you, NYPD, for being absolute monsters. Yes. Uh, this leads to like they eventually do pull Pacino out of this interrogation he walks over to the guy takes his hat off and throws it out the window in a moment that is definitely improv and I'm glad that you pointed out that this person was not an actor because he does not know what to do in terms of like being in the moment and being he just kind of looks at him and he just looks at him as he chucked his hat out the window Uh, and then they like start like fucking sexually assaulting poor Skip yeah, they, they have the guy slap him around. Then they're like, get naked. We're going to see if your testicles float. And also you're going to jerk off into a cut. Like, yeah. it's a very, you know, hazing It's like situation. a witch trial. That like, oh, if you, <laughs> It's the scene from Monty Payton on the Holy Grail. But it's like, if she floys the same as a duck, she's a witch. We'll burn her. Like, total insane nonsense. We cut from that to... Uh, out in the uh, bullpen with all the cops and the Sorvino's like, Hey, the prints don't match. So th- we got to let this guy go. And the other cop is like, well, let me back in there. I'll get him to confess. And it's like, we just eliminated him. What? You just like torturing this guy. Well, and that could have been a great plot point of, Hey, uh, if he was like, Oh, you know, the chief, the head, the super chief or whatever the fuck, he says he just wants a confession. I'll get a confession out of him. We can all go home and stop worrying about this. Right, right. So we smash cut from this to Pacino's back at Karen Allen's apartment. He's like drinking OJ out of the jug. He's clearly unraveling, but we haven't earned this unravel. We have like obviously he's all shook up from the interrogation, but it's not like we we're built to this him this scene of him unraveling. And in fairness, he plays unraveling really well here. He seems like a dude who's at the end of his very frayed rope, but. I, it's so unearned, and Karen Allen's just like. I think it's like, fascinating that this man has, like, I don't know, was it four years before this, was gave one of what is regarded as one of the best film performances of all time in The eight Godfather. Years. Eight years. Eight years. Seventy-two. Yeah. And then in this movie, basically could have been replaced with a cardboard cutout in half of his scenes, and you wouldn't yeah. lose anything. Th- this scene, he's like totally on. He's like kind of spilling the OJ a little bit, and he's like doing all this sort of subtle facial stuff that really is like, this guy's at the end of his rope. And honestly, like five years later, he wouldn't be this good. Or maybe was all the way to like 1990 when he started to like tail off a little bit. He's really good in this scene, and then the rest of the movie is head-scratchingly weird. But I think that probably comes from the fact that he didn't know what was going on. It sounded like they were constantly changing the script. They like It sounded like he had no idea if he was the killer or not the killer or who was the killer. And so it's well, hard And to... he was really conflicted about all the protests. Yeah, because – and you touched on this earlier, but we should, we should talk about that – that gay rights groups kept being incredibly interruptive to the film of the movie, which I think is very clever, that they would, like, blast air horns and bang drums and just they would go on roofs. They would go on rooftops with giant mirrors and just f- flash them all over the scenes. They yeah. would drive by. They would march around. Like, they would do everything they could to shut this movie down. Yeah, which I think is interesting. They're like – banding together to prevent this horrible representation of their community to get out. And it was like, they were right. This is a bad representation of the gay community as a whole in 1980. And, you know, pretty much the only one they got, 
But I think uh, the two scenes where he's in Karen Allen's apartment and she's basically like, if you don't tell me what's going on, you need to leave me or I'm going to leave you. And Paul Sorvino in the next scene where he's like, hey, I can't handle this anymore. I need to get out. And Sorvino won't let him get out are really, really good. It's yeah. like build, build the movie around this part, but they don't. No, that's what sucks. Apparently, Karen Allen legit didn't know the plot of the movie. That doesn't surprise me even a little because I don't know the plot of the movie and I got to watch the whole thing. Well, no, like they didn't tell her what Pacino was doing, like what his character was investigating. Oh, interesting. she only got to read her scenes so that she truly had no idea what Pacino's character was unraveled about. That's crazy. Which would lead to some great performances if they gave yeah. her anything to do. Yeah. And this is one of those crazy edits, too, where so Servino hands him this sheet of paper that's uh, and he says, this is a bunch of people who went to school that we Here's think one are one page of a yearbook. Yeah, that is folded into quarters. And they all these are the only students who were students of the first victim or second victim. And I was like, yeah, There's no way that those are his only students. The Whatever. only I think he tries to implicate that they're the only gay students. And so. The next scene is like six minutes of Pacino flipping over the same one sheet of yearbook paper over and over yes. again. It's weird. And then, and then hard cut from that to this guy who looks like one of the Doctor Who actors but isn't and the dad from Boy Meets World. Which Doctor Who actor? He The gif of the one where he kind of like winks and tilts his head that you see used on Twitter and all the time. Wait, but no, which is it is pre-David Tennant, pre-Eccleston? Yes, yes, original Doctor oh, Who. Oh, is it Longscarf Doctor? I think so, yes. He does look like Longscarf Doctor. Also a little bit like young Sherlock Holmes now that I'm thinking about it. He does. He totally looks like young yeah. Sherlock. Uh, but anyway, he is, we learn, the killer, but it's it's a sudden like, a third. Yes, but... He, so there's the Boy Meets World dad and this guy. Is it actually and... Boy Meets World dad? Yeah. Oh. So we're so... an hour and f- 10 minutes into this yes. hour and 40 minute movie. And all of a sudden we're getting a lot of backstory about this one character who's talking about his dad and how his dad's going to cut him off. And how he's going to try and squeeze another year out of his out of his blah, blah, blah. And his dad won't let him have a car on campus and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah. we're just, we're just, we just opened the back of the dump truck and just. Whatever happens, happens. Cool. We have no idea who this guy is. Turns out he's the killer. We've been supposed to be knowing about him the whole time, but we didn't. Yeah. And so he's like, Pacino's like trailing him in the park and like following around. It seems like he trails him for two weeks. Yes, it really does. It's a very long montage. But the weirdest part of it is there's a a bit where Pacino is like sitting outside the apartment. The guy walks by and goes into his his building and it does a circle highlight on Pacino and then freezes. Yeah, it pinholes. That's the right term. Thank you. Pinholes on Pacino. And as an audience member, I'm going, yeah, I know that's him. I, I can tell what Al Pacino looks like. I know like. what Al Pacino looks like. And so Pacino breaks into this kid's apartment by like stopping his fan and knocking his air conditioner yeah. in and starts snooping around. And then he opens this. Ki- so we've already seen this kid at the leather bars at this point. Yes. We've yeah, seen yeah. everyone at the leather bars at this point. He opens one closet and there's this dramatic musical sting of like, there's a leather jacket and a harness and hat in there. And I was like, no, we already saw him wearing that. We know. Yeah, exactly. We know movie. And then he looks down and there's a box of letters that aren't stamped, I think was supposed to be the important part that they were all written, but never stamped. Yeah. And they are primo crazy pants letters. It's it's a manifesto, basically. 
The one letter is like, I was in the park and watched the dark tar black blob pulsate with a red core, and I wanted to show you, Father. And I was yeah, like, yeah. oh, oh, this is the movie now? Because we only yes. have 25 minutes left. This yeah, is the movie now? <laughs> this, this movie is basically an hour and 10 minutes of confusing scenes loosely correlated to Al Pacino going out undercover, and then a single sitcom episode of A Murderer. Yes. So the guy comes home, and he sees that the fan is wrong, like not put in the window correctly. And then it does this weird zoom where he's like looking out the window and Pacino is just staring daggers at him. Which looking like, at him. Like, <laughs> how, how, how long did Pacino sit and stare at that window? Like an hour? But also, why would Pacino want him to know he's tailing him? No idea. And also, like Pacino knows this guy saw him at the leather bar probably. But other than that, doesn't know he's a cop. It's not like, oh, I'm on to you. Yeah, it's very weird. And then the kid goes outside to talk to his dad, and it's a weird... It's clearly like a crazy person's conversation. And I have now drafted this in my head that I think makes sense, but I wish to God the movie had something to back me up or negate this. But his... It seems like his father disapproved of the gayness, although we have no proof of that whatsoever. Yeah. And so he's like, you know what you have to do to those filthy men. And I was like, oh, he's murdering men who look just like him because he hates himself because his father hated him for being gay. So if he murders men, gay men who look like him, then he's killing that part of himself in his crazy brain. Right. Which is a great explanation if the movie doesn't also make us think there are at least one other killer, if not two. Yeah. So we cut from that weird conversation to the ghost dad to uh, James Remar. We also don't know it's a ghost dad yet. Yes, that is true. Uh, James Remar is the boyfriend of the neighbor, Ted, and he's back. Wearing real cute underwear. I wanted his (laughs) underwear. He and and Pacino have a little back and forth, and Pacino's trying to find Ted, and he kind of pushes back at him. Pacino responds to this by basically kicking the apartment door open and confronting this guy, to which James Remar logically pulls a knife. I I was like, oh, are we going to get, like, hate fuck now? Like, this is where Pacino succumbs? See, this is where I thought Pacino was going to kill him, and it was like, oh, Pacino is also a killer. But it doesn't do that either. No. Instead, they just show you a knife that is yet a third knife. Yes. It is not the steak knife, which is not the first knife. So it's a third knife. Yes. Uh, cut to Pacino chasing a suspect in the park. Stewart. And now, and because they like look at each other through the windows and he buzzes Pacino into his apartment and then they walk through the park and they're yeah. pretending that Pacino didn't break into his apartment, even though they yes. both know he did. I'm so confused. And then they go to a very romantic pee tunnel to uh, a very sexy pee tunnel. Rather, uh, this isn't a romance moment. This is just sex. But it's like, oh, of all the places you could pick, the tunnel. The tunnel is where everyone pees. I don't care, the, gay. But straight, why do you pee in the tunnel? Because no one can see you. Boop, bing, 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 but bing, bing. but you can find other discreet places in Central Park that aren't the pee tunnel. You you want to be hidden. That's why they were doing it in the back of meat trucks. So they have a standoff and Pacino stabs him first. Even they both pull knives. I uh, see. I didn't see Stuart pull a knife. Maybe did, uh, he might have. And I just didn't see it. I thought that he pulled a knife, but maybe you're right. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there was no knife, but in any case, Stuart gets stabbed. And now, and then he plays it in Pacino's playing it. Like 
he attacked Pacino, who fought back in self-defense. Right. So we're in the hospital. Uh, Sorvino is trying to get Stewart to confess. Um, he he says that he can give him eight years if he can an eight year prison sentence if he confesses to six murders, which really tells you how much the NYPD values the life of of gay people. Oh because yes, holy shit! Uh, Stewart pushes back and says that he's innocent, and then basically That's what they, they, say they they have the coin. Yeah, so they. Okay, all right, I missed that piece then. So I guess they think they have Stuart on this. They go out in the hallway, and Pacino's, like, talking to Servino, and he's like, oh, uh, you've made Detective Squad. Congratulations, Pacino, you're it. Take the rest of the week off. Smash cut to, like, he, he literally gets in the elevator, fade to black, back up from black. It's Pacino's uh, undercover apartment, which I guess he was only renting for a very short time. And we find out that Ted has been murdered, presumably by James Remar, but not. But we don't know for sure. Yeah, and the the he's really cut to ribbons. It's really gross. And the cop that's investigating him is the first cop from the beginning of the movie who was coercing the informant informant for sex. And Servino realizes that he is the the informant had, had told about told Servino about it. Servino realizes the connection there, but doesn't has nothing to do about it. So they chalk up Ted's death to a, quote, lover's quarrel, and that's it for Ted, I guess. Case closed. I was so mad they killed him only to do nothing with it. Yeah, I know. Because it's not like if if Pacino had said, you know, yeah, let me go empty out my old apartment before right. I go see Karen Allen. Right. Then there's something. Or, like, anything. Because we don't see the boyfriend again. We just see um, Ted's body laid out like David Bowie. Yes. And then we cut right from that dead body and Paul Sorvino conversation to Pacino is shaving in Karen Allen's apartment. She comes home. He basically apologizes for everything, says, I really screwed up. It's a weird conversation that doesn't have any stakes. Right. So she's he's shaving. She basically seems like she's going to let him back into her life. She walks away. We cut to her picking up his jacket and hat and like trying them on and then Pacino staring at himself in the mirror in a sort of what have I become moment, but it doesn't really land. And the two things don't connect. Like the two things are happening. The audience sees them, but it's not like he sees her in the jacket. In the mirror. Like, right, right. It's just, he's looking at himself. And then we cut from that hard cut again to sunrise or sunset. I can't really tell you which and a boat slowly cutting across the screen. And then it's like, whom movie over cut to this peppy pop song. And it's it like directed so by William freaking cruising. I have never been more confused watching anything in my whole life. I know we talk about and joke about being confused, but this movie intentionally was trying to make you feel that way. And oh boy, is it a success? Yes. And that's why it's kind of like it's an interesting thing to talk about as far as movie making goes. I would recommend this to no one. I know we always we're going to get there in a second. I don't know that there's anybody who would. I guess if you were really into art house and really liked William Friedkin and or Pacino, but you've got to have all those things and go in knowing that this movie is basically like you filmed a bunch of stuff, shook it up in a tumbler and dumped it out and well, put it and together. There's, in that some order. there's a lot of softcore porn going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Deeply, deeply confusing. I'm surprised there were no penises in this movie. Yeah, probably because they had to cut them out. All of the penises? I think so. There was probably... Don't Stop the Music had like 30 penises. (laughs) But Don't Stop the Music is like fun and this has murder. And also Don't Stop the Music is like late 80s. Was it late? 
I don't remember. I thought so. In any case, uh, yeah. And then do you have final out. thoughts? Oh, go ahead. Well, they, he had – so there's several – I William Friedkin is a fascinating person because I don't believe a goddamn word he says because in some instances he says, you know – I made a super long cut that was really disgusting so that when I cut stuff out of it, it would seem way more tame. That's a thing. That's a real thing. But then there's other times when he's like, I submitted it 50 times. I I was, I didn't think they were ever going to approve it. So like, which one was it? I heard the second story. I've heard both. And then sometimes he's like, oh, the things I cut didn't matter. It was just gratuitous pornography. And then there's other times where he's like, I cut out, I had to, I had to cut out twists and turns that the movie didn't take. And I was like, well, wait, which is it? Because it can't be right. both. It literally right. can't be both. No, no. And yeah. then there's another movie called Interior Leather Bar that James Franco made, which is about James Franco and his movie maker friends speculating what would have been in the 40 minutes that got lost forever. This feels like a movie that James Franco would love. That explains, like, that feels so right to me. Yeah, Only knowing him from public bar. persona. Yeah. Yeah. I Because apparently <sighs> some of the 40 minutes was A, super graphic, but also heavily implied that Al Pacino was doing stuff in the bars. Yeah. And I, obviously that's what the movie kind of cuts around. Like, it feels that that is true, but we don't see it. It feels like the movie wants to say it, but can't. Yes. Yeah. That feels right too. Um, yeah, I, this is like, (laughs) it feels like I had a fight with this movie while watching it. That's, that's, that's how I feel. Yeah. That it was openly antagonistic toward me for trying to watch it. (laughs) I mean, truthfully it's, I mean, that's how I feel. And I'm, I'm not a person who goes for nonlinear narratives very much. And that's my own personal preference. There are many people who I don't mind a nonlinear narrative. If I know that's what I'm, if it's presented as a nonlinear narrative, Right, right. Nothing about uh, this movie says nonlinear. Or nothing about this story calls for that. Yes. Although, I mean, if you want to jump around and talk and, like, show, you know, the killer's first kill and then the killer's last kill and then the killer grown, like, but because you purposely want us to be confused, like, it's not earned. Right. Yeah, I, I, this is a hard pass for me. Uh, I, I hope mean, if you're. This- I recommend it. If you're a queer person, this is a very fascinating snapshot of queer life, pre-AIDS queer life, which is where this movie has to live. Like, this movie could be made today, but it still has to be set in, like, 1979, 1980. Right. Before all of, before everything fucking changed. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I totally agree with what you're saying as far as it seems very almost documentary-like in its portrayal of the gay leather scene in new york in 1979 but boy from a watching a movie narrative perspective this i this stunk for me yeah if you're not a queer person slash queer leather person although i would say queer people in general should be aware of this movie um i wouldn't i don't think it's for you like this is not a mom movie right right well i okay I think there's a gap between a trip movie and a mob movie. Yeah. Thank but, you very much. Uh, but I, I, I'm not even talking about the, the subculture stuff, which I think you're correct is interesting. I'm talking about just like the, the, the movie as a movie doesn't land for me at all. Yeah. As a piece of c- cinema. Yeah. Um, so this is a, a pass for me, obviously. Um, 
Yeah, very weird. Like I said, I felt like I had a fight with this while watching it. It was it was it was tough. It was a tough it was a tough 100 minutes. Uh, and I was afraid of that. That's you heard it in me talking at the, the, what the next episode was going to be that I was a little apprehensive about this movie. And that is why not because I, you know, didn't want to talk or watch a movie about queer culture. It was more that I this movie seems weird from a structure standpoint, and that's going to be tough for me. So uh, hopefully you enjoyed listening to this. Yeah, hopefully hopefully we didn't lose every subscriber we ever had. Uh, trying something a little weird, but uh, we're going back to comfortable territory next week into bad movie town for February. But uh, for real quick, um, catch you up with a few things. Don't forget to check us out, dissectthe80s.com, at dissectthe80s on Twitter. Uh Feel free to send us an email if you got a question, comment, something on. Uh, in that regard, uh, dissectingthe80s at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show wherever you get it. If it's not on iTunes, send us a screenshot. We read those on the air, and we really appreciate them. Most importantly, check out patreon.com slash dissectingthe80s. We are so very close to unlocking a bonus commentary track for all patrons we're also going to be launching uh shortly on that uh probably coming up here first week of february beginning of february a uh, we're gonna start the voting process for that so everyone who's a patron now gets to vote in the bracket and then the final decision will hold off until we get to the threshold but we're gonna be posting uh we'll make public posts on Twitter and probably on Patreon too, to show you what the picks are going to be. We're going to have a sort of March madness style four regions and then narrow down to our final pick. So if you want to be part of that, check out uh, at dissect the eighties on Twitter and, and check out the Patreon and we'll show you that cool stuff coming up, but we're about to launch into our favorite time of year. And that's our birthday month, February, which means it's time for February. So we'll be kicking that off. Starting on February 10th with The Howling 4. We just did the fifth one, so that'll be interesting to see. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I have been Trip Leno. I will always be Andrew Leno. Until February 10th. Don't you forget about me. Dissecting the 80s is a chum sum of this production. Ow.